Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Dr. Williams is the author of the acclaimed book, Shattered by the Darkness, Putting the Pieces Back Together After Child Abuse. Dr. Williams is on the senior leadership team at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, and Dr. Williams travels the United States speaking and training professionals, parents, and victims about the importance of dealing with abuse and personal trauma head-on and not being afraid to break the silence of your own personal pain. Feel free to call in to tonight's show at 888-627-6008 and speak with Dr. Williams and his guests live on air. And now, your host, Dr. Williams. Well, good evening to the most beautiful city in the world, Houston, Texas, and welcome to Breaking the Silence, and welcome to my home. I'm just looking out. Uh, traffic's not too bad down here at the Texas Medical Center. Everything's kind of quiet. Uh, this afternoon, it was crazy down here. I don't know if it's getting ready to go into the Thanksgiving season and people are out buying their turkeys or what, but it was just uh, really a hustle and bustle going on out there. Welcome to the program tonight. We just... Uh, I've already noticed that I'm already getting texts on my phone from people saying, hey, what about this? What about this? So there's a lot of interest in tonight's program. Uh, before we go into uh, introducing our guests this evening, and you're going to want to make sure you get a hold of your friends, email them, text them, say, hey, join in right now tonight, because this is going to be 50 minutes of information that you're going to be able to use in your communities. And there's going to be a lot of schools that's going to benefit from this information. But most importantly, a lot of children's lives are going to be changed and families' lives are going to be impacted. And isn't that what we're here for? Is to try to help each other out. So I, I'm so thrilled with that. But as we go into tomorrow morning, we're entering into a week of Thanksgiving. So without getting, you know, without me pulling out my Bible and preaching a sermonette and, and slamming things down your throat, I just want to kind of remind you of a couple of things as we go in. Uh, to this next coming week. Um, there's no minimum quantity when it comes to appreciation. Okay, and in that, there's also no maximum when it comes to how much we can take things for granted. And as you think about that, it gives me uh, a thought that happiness is a mindset. Um and what your mind is set on is what we choose to focus on. And I think that's so important this week. Are we thankful for what or who we have in our life? Or are we tortured by what or whom we don't have in our life? And when you look at it this way, happiness is no longer acquired or achieved but instead, it's realized and chosen. Now, that's deep. You may have to take your shoes and socks off and wait in that for a while, but that's deep. People often, and I, I'm so guilty of this, and I, I try to break through this, but people often put their arms around and bear hug misery 
pain, tragedy, and oh no, we have these pity parties sabotaging any type of thankfulness, appreciation, gratefulness. And I notice this with people at work. Uh, you know, I work at Baylor College of Medicine just, just across the street here. And I notice this in sometimes when people start getting a negative slant on their job, that they can't get out of that rut. They, they fall into that rut and they just keep riding that rut. And we know what a rut is if you live in the country. Rut basically is a, um, a grave hole, a grave with both ends knocked out. Once you get in that, you can't get out. And once the people get in that negativity, sometimes it's hard for them to get out and then they don't find anything good about anything. And if you feel like you're constantly collecting and acquiring to fulfill a hunger for happiness, maybe then you're going about it the wrong way. The happiest people in this world are the ones who have that a magic amount of enough in their life. And enough is defined by them. A couple quotes that I just looked up a while ago, right before we went on the air. And I just want to leave you with this. That gratitude and attitude are not challenges. They're choices. So this week, as we go into this week, choose to look at the things that you're thankful for. Instead of waking up and going, oh, man, I'm aching. My arthritis is back or my knee hurts. Thank the Lord that you woke up. Choose to find the things that you can be grateful for. It's not happiness that brings us gratitude. It's gratitude that brings us happiness. And as you come into Thursday, I'm not going to be with family because I really don't have much family uh, left. I have my boys, but they're scattered all over the country. And you have that Uncle Clarence or Aunt Martha that just like, oh, no, here she comes. You know, God gave us our relatives. Underneath your breath, thank God that we get to choose our friends. So when you're dealing with those families and members and you just can't hardly tolerate, thank God you get to choose the people that you want to be friends with. Just tolerate, laugh about them. Tell a story someday about it. Tell your great-grandkids about them one day. You wouldn't believe what uh, Uncle Clarence did at 2022 Thanksgiving. He messed it all up, and we were so hurt, but now it's laughable. And if you can't be content with what you received, be thankful for what we've escaped. That's all the wisdom I have for you coming into this week. I always like to just throw out a few thoughts that's on my mind as we enter in the coming week and, and just try to gear up for what we're anticipating. But somewhere down the line, I think it'd be awesome to walk into your office, walk into your home, most importantly, walk in front of your children's faces and stop. Don't post it on Facebook about how much you love them. You look in their eyes face to face and say, I love you. And the whole room don't have to hear it. Just that child. 
Because when you post it on Facebook, you're looking for accolades from other people, applause from other fans, more likes on your post. Who cares? Just tell your child, your spouse, your best friend, I love you. And I appreciate not what I can get from you, but for just who you are. And I got a feeling we're going to have an awesome Thanksgiving week if you do that. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox now. Tonight, I want to tell you what. I like to read short books. This one texts me. This one is a jumbo edition, but I tell you what, I enjoyed every page of this. You want to write this down? It's called The Wrap Around, I try to get it off the glare, The Wrap Around Guide, How to Gather Student Voice, Build Community Partnerships, and Cultivate Hope. And we have both of the authors here tonight, Lee Coburn and Linda Beggs. Lee is a career educator, a community leader, an educational consultant working with school districts that wish to create, and this is what we're going to dig into tonight, this wraparound service opportunity. Anybody that has involved in any school right now, get on the edge of your seat and lean in. Because you're going to find out that there's a different way, folks, that we need to do business in our schools. And he is, uh, creates this wraparound service opportunities for the students and their families. So for 10 years, she proudly served as a principal of Marietta High School. That's Marietta, Georgia, until founding the Graduate Marietta Student Success Center in July 2015. And Linda Beggs is a veteran facilitator focused on helping organizations and individuals work better together to produce results. And I'm going to take the rest of this CV and throw it away because I want to introduce you to <laughs> these two awesome people that I am so glad that I've got an opportunity to meet. Linda and Lee, welcome to the program tonight. I'm glad you're here. Can you hear me okay? We can. We can, and I want to start by thanking you for reminding me of my daddy, who was a person who only wanted what he needed and was and then was never dissatisfied. Hard to buy a Christmas present for, but he set a great role model. So thank you for reminding me of that this week. And you know, those those folks are few and far between. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we were, we've been told for years that we get all we can, can all we get, then we sit on the can uh, and don't let any of it leave. You know, we try to get all of that. And you know, the, the one with the most uh, toys at the ends wins, you know. Uh, who was it, Lily Tomlin, that said uh, it really doesn't matter if you win the rat race or not, you still end up being a rat. <laughs> and I think sometimes we end up doing that to ourselves. Sure. Tell me, Lee and Linda, first of all, welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, what are you passionate about? What's this all about without me trying to, I'm just going to step back and take a breath now and a drink of a nice cold beverage, but what's, what brought you into this concept uh, and how important do you think it is right now in our educational system? Linda, you okay if I take that first? Um. So I was an educator, have been an educator for 34 years, I was a classroom teacher for 13 years, and then I was in educational leadership for 17 years. Um, and during that time, I was the last or almost the last 10 years of that, I was running an urban suburban high school um, in Marietta, Georgia, 
where we were caught up in that era of no child left behind, where we were being measured by our test scores and kids oh. graduating from high school. And and we were working really hard to get our graduation rates up and to do all those academic interventions that we needed to do um, to make sure that our students were learning and graduating on time. And 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 it still wasn't getting us to the mark. Um, I had fabulous teachers. We were in an international IB school, majority minority, uh, majority poverty, but extremely high performing um, school. And we were still trying to raise our graduation rates. And I, I had this fabulous, insightful teacher um, one time when we were working through all the things we were already doing in our school for our students, whether it was tutoring in the morning, during lunch, after school, twilight school, online school, credit recovery, all those things that we were doing. And I had an insightful teacher who said to me, I wonder what our kids would say. If we asked our kids what they really needed to graduate healthy and well and to learn, I wonder what they would tell us they needed. And so I launched basically a time where I just did everything I could to gather student voice. I started interviewing students in our school that were off track and I started working with our kids. And what I found is that when I asked them what their barriers were to learning, that they talked about things that we might think of that fall outside the bricks and mortar school. They talked about transiency. They talked about poverty. They talked about addiction. They talked about trauma, adverse childhood experiences. They talked about family changes, immigration. Um, I wonder what am I leaving out? Uh, trauma, incarceration, mental health. Yeah. Um, health is the seventh one that I was leaving out. And they talked about emotional, mental, physical physical health. And what I realized is that so much of what we were doing in the school is looking at kids that were struggling in those areas and just providing more tutoring, more test prep, longer test years, longer school years, longer school days. And what they really needed was healing. What they really needed was support. What they really needed was health and wellness. Um, and so I, I knew those things already. I knew I had kids who struggled with all those things. I think the magic in wraparound is how to form those cross-sector partnerships with public health, with law enforcement, with your local colleges, um, with your local um, with your local healthcare systems, uh, with your mental health agencies, with your military recruitment services. But how to how to form partnerships where you're beginning to share staff, share funding, and share space. So you can create almost this one-stop shop. I call it like the super Walmart of human services. Um, I live in a very rural community. We have a super Walmart. And I tell people, you go, you want a super Walmart, you can buy your tires, you can buy your milk, and you can buy your dog milk, like all at the same place. And so the concept of a wraparound center is to create a space within a school district where you have representation from all those different service agencies and organizations in one place. Not only do your educators then have access to all that expertise, but so do your students and your parents. Mm -hmm. And in public schools, we are connectors and we are navigators. We have a lot of people in our contact list. Our students and our families don't always have that same access. So it's kind of like opening the social capital of those who work in the schools um, and their ability to connect with the community and to begin to leverage their access for their students and their families. Um, so if a school wants to get involved in this, is this something that they need to get a hold of your organization? 
uh, and say, hey, we need the resources, uh, show us what to do. And that maybe, I mean, this to me looks like an unbelievable roadmap. It is um, a roadmap. how-to manual. It, but, we wrote it specifically as a how-to manual so that it not only told the leaders kind of the strategic reason why you're doing it, the whys, but also for the practitioners who are on the ground, like the exact how-tos, you need these markers. You know, my background is as a facilitator in the corporate world, and and it's really, this is how you do it. Um, and and also, as Lee mentioned, it's, um, it's growing that social capital. But so, sure, the guidebook helps. We have people call us in to actually do the gathering of that initial gathering of voice where we go in and have what are called conversation circles, which are big, broad conversations about the barriers. So it can be soups to nuts and, you know, um, or just a la carte, I guess. Do, do you feel that the the response factors are more effective if the professionals with the briefcase that lives 20 miles outside of town come in and ask the questions? Do you, be, do you feel that that has more impact on the results of what is really needed? Or do you think they can still do that internally, but sometimes the kids may be responding to what they think they want to hear instead of what is the real things that they're hurting from? So I actually think it takes a lot of skill to facilitate what can be very sensitive but also courageous conversations with kids um, and with families. I think it takes a lot of skill to facilitate those. Um, I've, I've really become aware, I think, in the last five to seven years of my life of the power of a really well-scripted question, that it is open-minded, that there is no bias in it, that it is not judgmental, um, but also in the role of facilitation and how not to listen autobiographically. People tend to do that with kids a lot. Kids start to talk and we interrupt them and start telling them about our own experiences <laughs> or talk about pearl clutching where they say something and, and kids will test you. They'll say something to see what your reaction, you're not only your facial reaction, but your emotional reaction. In the South, we call that pearl clutching. <laughs> you, know, you, go, huh, you know, when it, when it kids right. so. Yeah. I do think there's a lot to the facilitation um, and our consulting. I mean, a lot of the questions we ask are right there in our book. And we give lots of tips about how to facilitate really meaningful conversations with students. Um, but when we do consulting, we do go in and we try to interview. Gosh, we'll interview hundreds of kids sometimes in a school district. And we invite school personnel to sit in the back and watch us facilitate those groups with students. I do think it's helpful to see it done. Um, I think it's helpful to see it done. And I think it, yeah. but, but what I do find is that school systems and communities are absolutely amazed, just blown away, not only by what students tell us, but what is the wisdom mm -hmm. oh. in kids' voices. And Lee is absolutely correct about that. And so I think one of the things that sets our model apart is that we really believe it must be whatever you do and, and whatever your model is going to look like, it it must begin with and be continually grounded in student voice. It must be. Um, it is a fallacy to say if you build it, they will come. That's not true. If they trust it, if they trust it, they will come. 
Correct. Though I will say, ultimately, for anyone who does any schools that do engage with us, our goal is for them to be capable of doing it. It's it's a, you know, we wind up as peers, colleagues, and friends, not clients. That's our goal as we embark on this so that it's the gathering of voices and is something that goes on all the time at that school. Right. So there are actually five processes that we we train school folks in. There's conversation circles, which are big, broad conversations. There's off-track interviews, which is how to do a really strategic, intentional one-on-one conversation with a student that's had barriers that have gotten in the way of their wellness and learning. Um, we do a student voice needs assessment where you can get quantitative data to pair up with your qualitative data. We um, encourage schools to have their kids, their fifth graders, eighth graders, 12th graders, write their legacy stories and their graduation stories where they reflect on their life this far, thus far in schools. Um, and then the last thing is we dive into in the book a good bit is in is on focus groups where when there is a barrier that continues to bubble to the surface in a community, um, we go in and, and train them in how to do focus groups with students that are specific to that identified barrier. And then all of that is for the purpose of designing programming. Now, we're focused a lot on schools right now in this conversation, but I know your audience is not just schools. Right. And so what we believe is that this this process is quite customizable, whether you're a church, whether you're a healthcare center, whether you're a police department, a lot of these questions you can you can use with your stakeholders and with those that you serve in your community to begin to gather from them what are their what are their barriers to wellness or success um, or happiness within their communities, and then what kind of resources do you need to mine and then partner with to begin to address that? It's you know, there's been some political, I, I'm, and I'll just say up front, I'm married to a police detective. I have a son who's a police officer. I have another son who's a pastor. So we're all in, in public service. But but people have talked about police departments partnering with DFACs, partnering with mental health. Um, I have a son who's a police officer. He tells me about 40% of his calls deal with homelessness or addiction or mental health. And in that world of a police officer, how is he supposed to respond to those things? Um, and how can he help those people he's called to help the most rather than just writing a report and going on his way? Um, I think there's a lot of power in communities working together, not only hosting courageous conversations, but then working together to bring services and support to those topics that rise to the homelessness is going to come up in communities. Addiction is going to come up in communities. Um, home, homelessness, I already said that one, didn't I? Homelessness, yeah. addiction, mental health sure. is going to come up in communities. So how are you as a community responding? And the school system is a part of that. But so is the police department. So are the healthcare agencies. So yeah. are the service providers. And so how do we begin to work together in a way that is informed by those very stakeholders we're trying to assist? So you're not doing it to them. You're doing it with them, right? which honors their agency and honors their experience in, in that. Linda, what were you? Sure. I was just going to say, and you learn so much more about their experience and perspective. Um 
simple things like homeless um, parents saying that they really would like a crock pot, not a turkey, because they don't have they're in a living in an extended stay crock pot they can take with them. They can just something that's super simple example, but or they have small refrigerators and we're about to give them all big turkeys. Right. <laughs> You know, and they have small refrigerators and crock pots. They don't, or they have a, a hot plate. They don't have an oven where they are. So, again, just simple things um, to very, to the very profound. And all of that, um, when it's happening, whether it's a school or another type of community center, you then start to grow those, that social networking among various um, agencies. And so it's really about community grow, you know, growing the health of the community. Yeah. We're going to take our first commercial break and we're only going to take one tonight because I know we're, this is going to be so much uh, impact and full of information show. Uh, looks like the uh, Facebook page is up and running. If you have any comments, you feel free to go on there. My son, Curtis, is taking care of that from Seattle, Washington. While he's there watching that for us for comments, my phone is vibrating uh, a lot right now. I'll be watching that after, uh, during the commercial. I'll let you know if there's any comments there. But if you want to call in, 888-627-6008. On the other side of this break, Lee and Linda, I'd like to find out your, just a quick uh, perspective on what the youth have encountered uh, just in the last couple of years. And did COVID cause us to take a few steps back in this ground swelling of uh, the wraparound project type of thing? Or did COVID open up doors of saying, hey, wait, now we realize we all have issues. And we're going to dig into that just a little bit more on the other side of this first commercial break. We'll be right back. HCI Publishing that brought you the international bestsellers, A Child Called It, and the Chicken Soup for the Soul series comes the latest book by Dr. Gregory Williams, Shattered by the Darkness. This book describes the horrific abuse that Dr. Williams suffered at the hands of his father for over 12 years and the damaging effect of keeping everything silent about that abuse for 30 years. If you're looking for that book that you can't put down, then pick up a copy of Shattered by the Darkness by Dr. Gregory Williams at all Barnes & Noble stores, Amazon, and Books A Million. Now, back to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. Welcome back to Breaking the Silence. We have uh, Lee Colburn and Linda Beggs with us, the authors of The Wraparound Guide. And I tell you what, this is an unbelievable book. And every time you open it up, I see something that I missed the first time through. And I love the section that you have on anger because there's a lot of anger uh, and resentment, uh, fear and anxiety in our kids today. And and as we we kind of turn the corner here, 
Um, what, what do you think the kids and the youth of today are enduring that is so uh, more impactful and harmful than what you and I dealt with uh, when we were growing up? I mean, I grew up in a country school, you know, um, we barely had shoes and socks on. We were, you know, bibbed overalls and went to school. But what what's the, the kids really dealing with right now that we may be overlooking? So um, Linda and I have talked a lot to kids about stress and anxiety and the really epidemic levels of stress and anxiety, also epidemic levels of addiction and yeah. self-harm um, among kids. Uh, we believe it goes back to what some of the research today is talking about with with how has childhood changed? You know, are children the same or are they actually beginning to evolve different co differently cognitively? How has childhood changed? What we know is that they are more hyper connected than we were. OK, um, a lot of that has to do with their technology. At the same time, they can be more isolated than we were um, because they're they're making a lot of their connections and their relationships online. They don't know all the kids on their street and their neighborhood anymore. Um, they're talking more through texting than they are face to face. All right. So they're hyper connected. And at the same time, they can be more isolated. They are most certainly more overexposed than we were. Um, many of our primary influences were our parents, our teachers, members of our community, our church. These kids can be connected to people anywhere in the world and they can feel connected to people they've never met and be influenced by people they've never met. They're a generation that doesn't have to ask their parents for information. They can simply. Oh, e yeah, Ooh. even when I was parent, my girl, my daughters are 22 and 25. And I remember saying, you'll never have a television in your room. And now that's forget that they've got the whole world and in their pocket. Do, not do just you think we've let this generation everything. down? What was that? Do you think we've let this generation down by allowing all of this to come into their world as such a. Uh, tsunami uh, amount uh, without any regard of filtering, of protection. Yes. I think yes as well. Yeah, yes. I think we have a responsibility to help our children manage it. I think they are carrying around bags that they are not strong enough, or old enough, mature enough to carry around because oh. of what they're being exposed to. So there's the hyperconnectedness and isolation. There's the overexposure. There's also a level of competitiveness among parents, quite honestly, <laughs> and people in the community. I mean, where yeah. the kids are going to go to college, how many scholarships are getting, who's playing what on what sports team, um, whether so there can be a little level of competitiveness um, as well. I, I look, I think technology can be an incredible tool. Um, I, I just think there's so much darkness there as well. And and when a kid is afraid to ask you a question or they're curious about something that they're embarrassed to ask you about, all they got to do is Google it. And there's no frightening place in the world, I think, than the Internet for a child who is scared, feeling alone and confused. 
Um, one of mine and Linda's favorite books, and I know I recommended you the other week that you have the authors on your or your show, is a book called The Culture of Hope. And what it talks about is that schools, communities, churches, we have a responsibility to build within our children a sense of hope which and resiliency, which those authors define as a sense of, sense of optimism, belonging, purpose, self-worth, and self-regulation. And that's really should be our core purpose, because regardless of the barriers and the adverse childhood experiences that will and will continue to happen to children until adults quit doing bad things to kids. OK. Um, regardless of what those are, if that child can have built into them a sense of optimism, belonging, purpose, self-worth and self-regulation, they can push through. They can push through. And so, you know, I think I think, yeah, I think our kids don't have much chance to be bored, which means they don't have much chance to be creative. But um, that's all in mind outside as much either. Right. Right. <laughs> is is that the reason that you chose to do the holistic approach of mm -hmm. the five H's? Mm -hmm. uh, because it seems like schools when I was growing up was test, 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 test. Yeah. Uh, it was all IQ, you know, get right. get the knowledge and move on. Um, and I think this, the, the five H's, how important are those if we miss three of the five uh, yeah. in school? Well, let's talk about the five let's H's. What are the five H's? Okay. <laughs> I'd like to know. Because that's not, that's not mine and Linda's research, actually. That is a, the research of a professor named Dr. Dan Ray and a Cordelia Swinsky are from Georgia Southern University. So it's health, home, hearts, hands, head, head. <laughs> that's what I was head. So head, heart, home, health, hands. And, and hands is about the safety around a child. So part of that is looking at, at for schools is looking at how do we and and there are references in that into our book. And there's actually some links to some of that information um, if you can contact us through our website. But we actually have a school improvement tool that we've designed to go along with their article about how do you assess a school's ability to touch each of those five areas um, yeah. and have that impact for a child. So, yeah, the, the term that we use in the education world, Gregory, is whole child. And so we talk about the whole child holistically, the social, emotional, mental, physical, cognitive child. And um, teachers have been doing that for years. Mm -hmm. It's really about when the whole school does that. The whole school addresses the whole child, because one of the one of the great benefits of having a wraparound approach is for those very tuned in teachers they have a place to go to connect that child with the services that they need, as opposed to scrambling themselves to try to fill that gap. Um, and yeah. so teachers can be the best for helping identify which kids really do need those, those kinds of You know, of we, we've had on numerous and even Stanley last week, uh, is a perfect example of this, that he picked out one or two teachers that made an impact. So I could see, and literally changed his life, I could see how an entire school, if they all bought into this, uh, you know, hook, line, and sinker, and they all lived it and exemplified it and utilized it uh, and was there to be that hope and resilience and teach them and 
that completeness of that whole child, how that could literally change every student, not just a few, uh, which is wonderful that they're champions out there. But it, it's like you said, Linda, it's a whole approach. Uh, and I, yeah. I hope you honestly, when you come to Houston and you're already beginning that work, I hope at the HISD that they buy into this and it changes uh, our educational system here. Yeah, HISD is, is, has already done some really great work in this area. And in fact, they've hired a wraparound um, person at every school in Houston ISD. I don't, I'm not sure that I know of another school district in the country, certainly not one the size of Houston ISD, that has committed the resources to this initiative that Houston has. And Linda and I were fortunate to come out, or I was able to come out. Actually, Linda wasn't able to come out on that trip with me, but we were, I've already been to Houston some and worked with some of the central office people, particularly a woman named Dr. Tu, who is heading up the the wraparound program there in Houston. And wow, what a committed, energetic, innovative team of people she had, just not only well-intentioned, but just willing to really roll up their sleeves and do the work to bring the community to the schools. And I think that's the work behind it. And I think maybe for your listeners, if we could give them a little picture of, of what a wraparound center would look like. So for instance, in the high school that I led in in 2015, when I became the wraparounder, we had a food pantry where we were aligned with um, the community food pantry. So we had a food pantry at our school, a clothing closet at our school. We had all kinds of toiletry and hygiene products. We had a laundry services room where kids could actually wash and dry their clothes at school. We had military recruiters. I had eight different mental health providers that specialized in sexual trauma, anger and gang interdiction, mental health in general, um, and addiction uh, there in the school. I had a college a college and career advisors. As well graduate. as a faith-based. Um, I had a faith-based clinician within our counsel, our program as well, as well as mentoring programs and tutoring. And so it wasn't just the academic component, although that component was there because that is the lane of the school, right? Is that we're trying to make sure that our kids graduate prepared for what comes next. Um, but teachers can't give what they don't have themselves when it comes to emotional health and wellness these days. And our teachers have taken a real beating. Um, so they can't give what they don't have and other kids just need a place to access sometimes things that they can't get at home. Um, and that may be basic needs or it may be emotional support or it may be school supplies. It doesn't matter, but whatever that child through the student voice interviews is able to articulate as their barrier, then you have networked the community to make that available for them. Um, in our particular model, the school system doesn't pay for more than about 20 to 25% of what comes in. You asked a question before the break, how are we different right now? Our communities have ESSER money that is flowing in from the federal government. Mm -hmm. The very definition of ESSER money into these communities and the is about ensuring equitable access to resources, services, and opportunity. It's about innovative partnerships that sustain families and communities. There has never been more funding to do the innovative work that Linda and I are talking about than there is right now. We have a whole chapter about how to do all that in the book. Um, but the funding is there. And I do believe because we've been a country in crisis, 
I do think we're seeing some more innovative partnerships take place. Um, I've also written, particularly when you think about uh, Texas, unfortunately, I've also just written two articles um, that were published on school safety and the partnerships between police departments and school systems and what that really needs to look like. Um, and how do you address the kid who's the internalizer? Right. How do you because bring them into the public? Let me just interrupt and say that when Lee was principal, and I live in that community, I live in Marietta, so they had such a robust partnership between the police department and the school system. It was um, truly, a, it was a model that you mm -hmm. just couldn't, you couldn't, you can't, you can't over explain the level of trust that the community felt that there was such mutual respect. And I sent my kids to that school 100% confident that they would be safe. And that flows into the streets, does it not? It does. Mm -hmm. I mean, we would have to. Because yeah. we see much, so much tension between the community and the police now. If mm -hmm. they're seen and involved with your kids right. in an environment where we see hearts and caring and empathy, I can just see that being nothing but positive fuel for how adults and everybody deals with them outside of that building. For example, one of the things that they did was they certified one of the police officers as a teacher so he could teach the career track on law enforcement. Wow. So it's not just the, the cops were not just the enforcers. They were there as, they were there for safety. And, and they knew our kids. They sure did. And our kids knew them. And I was in a big high school. I mean, gosh, I think they have close to 2,600 students now, but my high school had 2,100 students in it. And my police officers knew my kids and, and it was a strong relationship. Um, but just as much, you can talk about student health centers where you've partnered with your public health and your healthcare agencies, where you have literally a student health center within your school system that students can access, whether it's pink eyes, strep throat, or, or something more serious. Um, it opens avenues for really innovative innovative um, strategies when it comes to discipline. You know, if you have a student who has been caught with a dime bag of pot on school campus or 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 they are misusing prescription drugs, you know, the school system's typical response is to send, suspend that student or send them to alternative school. And I'm not talking about turning a blind eye to distribution in your schools. I'm not talking about that. But I am talking about very strategically intervening at a time that a student is looking at is in the beginning stages of experiment of exposure and experimentation. And if you're ever going to nip addiction in the bud, I mean, in the in its genesis, that's what you've got to be able to do. Right. So having counselors in there that are in recovery, people who know how to talk to students about addiction and it's a part of their life experience and they're in re long term recovery, having a mentoring program for that versus just suspending the kid for 10 days. Um, is a much more powerful path to possible sobriety and wellness for that student. Right. Um, so it's just, and, and that's not the expertise of the school. I'm not ever trying to say the school, the hospital, the police department, I'm not ever trying to say any of those agencies need to be experts in all these areas. It's all about the synergy of the partnership. Right. You're, you're leaning into another agency's expertise and resources what I used to say as a principal when I would work with these partners, when I would go in, 
is I would say, tell me how in my school I can better help you achieve your mission with my students and families. So to public health, to the police department, to defects, to a food pantry, to a homeless shelter, how can I better help you achieve your mission with my students and families? And then you begin to roll out the partnership informed by what your students and families have already asked for. And you could use that same model in a hospital. How could we work with defects to help them better achieve their mission with children and families in our community? You could say the same thing to the police department. And all of those questions are about relationship building, having a deep understanding of what each other's roles, missions, um, what they do, what's important to them. And so I'm reminded of a quote by Stephen Covey, who said, when it comes to people, slow is fast and fast is slow. So it means you've got to really take that time to develop those relationships. Um, in, in the case when Lee was at Marietta, she was a student at that high school, a graduate. So she, someone said, how did you get it to stand up and how long did it take? Well, it took six months, but actually it took 47 years and six months (laughs) because all of those relationships were there. So I, I would just encourage your listeners to start with people they know and, and be intentional about taking the time to develop those deep relationships. And once the trust is there, you really can go pretty fast. And how important is that trust, Linda? How important is that trust to be built and not to break it during this building stage? Isn't that vital? It's vital. The way we say it is trust isn't on the plate. Trust is the plate. Oh, that's good. And so... All of this must happen when you you're basically looking for people and you're that you have trust in their character and their competence. Their intentions are good and they also are good at what they do. Right. So it's those two cut the combination of character and competence. And that takes time to to gain that confidence and credibility. Is there an opportunity in this wraparound? Uh guide and system that you have for people in the community that aren't affiliated with an organization to get involved in their local school districts? Or is that something that, hey, no, let let the professionals deal with it. What is there opportunity for volunteers to be in this? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, like our, our food bank, our clothing pantry, our mentoring programs, um, our apply to college nights where people could come in and help kids with their applications to college. There's ample opportunities. You know, schools have kind of built cages of our own design. Okay. I mean, we, we've talked a good game about wanting parents and communities to be involved in schools, but after elementary school, that begins to trickle out. Yeah. Least, you know, even with parent involvement, sometimes parents get really involved in their kids' particular sport or activity, but not necessarily, um, with the PTA. So whether you're talking about schools, you're talking about hospitals, you're talking about police departments, all of these agencies kind of work even with high effectiveness within their own silos. What this work is about is seeing the community holistically and breaking down the silos 
in all of that organ in all of those agencies and organizations. So they begin to have a collective, a sense of collective case management or working with with children or families or just even a collective way of being able to serve. So, you know, in in the in the book, we talk about leaders seeking the truth, that they have to seek the truth and speak the truth so that they can stretch themselves and their agencies to truly serve others. OK, so um, Lyle Wells is a gentleman we heard speak one time, talked about those four tenets of, of leadership, seek the truth, speak the truth. Um, stretch yourself to serve others. And so this work is really about how do all those foundational pillars within your community, your churches and all these other different agencies, how do they begin to break down their silos and work together? And there's a lot in our book about how to do that. And it is not only the right work, um, this is the right work, it is the right time and there is funding to do it. Yeah, I don't and think the iron's any hotter incredible. than it could be right now. I mean, this is a perfect timing for this. It's perfect, and it's desperately needed. Um, our country, I think, is struggling in some really different ways in the way that we're divided, and I think in the way that public trust has eroded in school systems, in police departments, in institutions across the board are yes. suffering yes. a lot of credibility. They yes. are. And so it then behooves upon us. How are we going to respond to that? Are we going to react to it by just pulling deeper and letting people have less access to who we are and how we do things and become more secretive and less transparent? Or are we going to begin opening our doors and being authentic and transparent and highly trustworthy in the way that we deal with the public? You know, this is one of those things where there's so many organizations that are great organizations. We have them on the show. We interview them all the time and they're outside and they're saying, oh, well, we just don't have we, we can't get the people and the information to the people to where we can actually make an impact. If this could all draw everybody together, those type of organizations could be part of that foundational uh, service mm-hmm. that the school offers. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's providing them people that they can actually help uh, with their own services that they're professional in, that they That's have right. the wisdom on. That's right. It's, this is perfect. Yeah. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you before they cut us off, we want to make sure they get uh, the information. If they want to get this book and if they want to get in touch with you, maybe to, to talk to you on the phone or to email a website, share with me and everybody that's listening tonight, how would they be able to do that? So our our book is published through Solution Tree Publishing. So they can go through solutiontree.com and put in the wraparound guide, but it's also available on Amazon. I'll let Linda tell you about our, our website and how they can reach us. Okay. The, it's called the, Our company is called the Centergy Project. So it's kind of a play on words in, in the word center, like a wraparound center, and synergy. So C-E-N-T-E-R-G-Y, the Centergy Project. And I just uh, loaded up this evening um, some information about what students say about stress and anxiety, because I know that's something that is is hitting across the board. And so um, viewers who want to go or listeners who want to go there can um, visit what and, and look at the tools and resources, and they can download um voice charts of what students have had to say. We have a 
a whole process of focus groups. And so they can download that as well as a compilation of what they have to say in terms of how how it impacts their life um, personally at work, you know, at school with their friends and family, as well as some ideas of how um, the school might um respond what what they might do programming wise so, so the those website is the website it's on our website thecentergyproject.com and then you'll also have like links to our website i mean links to email lee um it's lee at the centergy project and linda at the centergy project and linda don't you also have a partnership guide we do have a partnership guide on on that website as well under the tools and resources. So um, we've got a couple of things people can download there. And, um, and of course, ask us questions if you want. We've got a services brochure if you want to see the different types of things we offer. Oh, it looks just like that. I think it's <laughs> for those who aren't, who are listening, um, Greg is holding up a, one of our brochures that just shows the different things we offer. Again, we could come in and, um, gather voice for you, teach you how to do that, or do soup to nuts and help you build a wraparound center. Partnership well, guide. I, I want to thank you for being here today. Go ahead, uh, Lee. You had a I was just going to say the partnership guide, any agency can use it for any other agency. It's just literally a framework for how do you sit down and have a meeting about taking a partnership that's already there to the next level or about forming a new partnership. How do you find your common areas, set goals, um, how are you going to hold each other accountable? What's your communication plan going to look like? Um, that complete framework of just how do you facilitate that conversation with one another? Um, it's, of course, in more in-depth in our book, but Linda's actually uploaded that template to our website. For you want to make sure you have a lot of paper in your uh printer when you get on their website because you're going to want to print some things and I <laughs> loved it I print a lot of stuff and I have it in a folder at the office and I love that I want to thank also Joe and Darty Hendershot uh, from Ohio that introduced me to these uh, wonderful ladies and uh, hooked us together and uh, if there's anything that we can do for you here in Houston uh, while you're here please let us know I thank you for being on here uh, this, I highly, highly, if I had to give it one out of 10, I would give this a 12. Everybody <laughs> can get something out of this book. It's not just for organizations. You can use this teamwork. Oh, there's so many different ways you can use this great information. And I'll thank you so much, Lee and Linda, for being with us tonight. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. And when you're in Houston, holler and, uh, we'll do coffee or something. I'd love to do that. Got it. You got it. Like, you got it. Thank you. We like to end every program as we do each and every week before we say goodnight for the evening to always remind you, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what your children have gone through, no matter what you're going through right now or what you're going to be facing tomorrow, I always want to let you know, and you can lean in if you want to, I always want to let you know there's hope. Never give up on hope. As long as we have air in our lungs, that's still attainable. But sometimes you have to dig in and reach deep, but never give up on it. Join us right here next week. You will not want to miss next week's program. The story will blow your socks off. So duct tape your socks on before you even log in <laughs> to next week, because that is a powerful, will be a powerful story. Join us right here next week for another live edition of Breaking the Silence. Have an awesome Thanksgiving. 
God bless you. And don't forget to take time to appreciate the people around you. God bless. Have a great week. See you later. Bye-bye. Thank you. Good night. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence with Dr. Gregory Williams. To contact Dr. Williams, dial 832-396-6525 or email him at shatteredbythedarkness at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us each Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central Time, 6 p.m. Pacific on BBS Radio Station 1 for the next episode of Breaking the Silence. Thank you.